seriously popular. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's edition of It's All Kicking Off Weekend Preview. Now before Chris and I get into our usual business of looking forward to two or three of the weekend's big Premier League matches, I'm going to go to Istanbul because Manchester United were involved in yet another seismic Champions League game last night. Galatasaray 3, Manchester United 3. Chris Wheeler, our Manchester United correspondent, was there and he's waiting to talk to me now from Istanbul Airport. Hi, mate. You were you were there last night. You were in the depths of hell with Manchester United. And and for Eric Ten Hag's players, it must have felt exactly like that by the time they got to full time. Another incredible night. There's a chaotic feel about Manchester United, which is impossible to ignore, whether you're looking at their results or their performances. Once again last night, the focus was on the goalkeeper, Andre Anana. Do you think that was his worst performance yet in a Manchester United shirt? There's been a few. Um, I mean, as you say, the the chaotic nature of the season so far has, has been almost kind of like reserved for Europe. It's it, There's been the form in Europe has, has, has been particularly wild compared to at home. Uh, in terms of the goalkeeper, I mean, it's... He was brought in, he, he plays well with his feet. I think everybody is of a similar opinion that that's all well and good, but his first job is to go and save goals. And he, he hasn't been doing that and he's been making mistakes. And for me, he's almost kind of symptomatic of the team at the moment in the sense that he, he, he gets by in most games, but there's always a mistake in him. And that's the team right now. That's Man United right now for me. It's They've been, got this weird um, run at the moment where they're the informed team in the Premier League, but it doesn't feel that way. And they're kind of getting through games, they're getting wins, they're getting points, but you always feel they've got a collapse in them. And he, as a goalkeeper, he's always got a mistake in him. And he, he doesn't inspire confidence at all now. I have to say, I was at Goodison Park on Sunday when United beat Everton 3-0, and I thought that was Anana's best performance for Manchester United. I thought he was terrific in that game, and I thought he turned the corner. If he has, then he's now turned another one and finds himself right back where he started. United are at Newcastle on Saturday night. Is there any prospect at all of Eric Ten Hag pressing the nuclear button and dropping his goalkeeper? I think it has to be an option. I think it has to be an option because of the mistakes that Anana's made, of the uncertainty that spreads through the back four. And let's not forget, he does have a good number two. We've not really seen him yet, but we're told uh, Altai Bendeir came into £4.3 million in the summer. 
um, from Fenerbahce. He's a good keeper and it's, it's no secret, Ian, that I think Anana is a little bit nervous um, going into the African Nations Cup in January that he, if he goes to that tournament and Bandaya gets his chance, that Anana will not get his, his, his place back. At this rate, his place could be gone long before the African Nations Cup comes around. To answer your question, I think there's, there's well, it's a big question now for Eric Ten Hag because he's put such great stock in Anana as a keeper, as a, a sweeper keeper playing out from the back. Um, so it isn't just dropping a player. I think his own his own credibility is at stake here too. It's a massive call, but one that if this continues, he's going to have to do it. And is it going to come on Saturday? Maybe, maybe. I'm still thinking possibly not quite yet. Um, but that time is coming, yeah. Chris and I have been very, Chris Sutton and I have been very uh, critical of Bruno Fernandes in terms of his captaincy. Are we starting to see signs of life in that department? Signs of some rather welcome, belated maturity from Fernandes? Or am I looking for something or seeing something that's not there? Yeah, I mean, he got credit, of course, for um, handing a penalty to Marcus Rashford at Everton on Sunday. Whether that was the right call or not, it, it worked out okay. Um, but that showed certainly leadership and consideration for his teammates. I thought he was great on Sunday. I thought he was great last night. I thought, you know, what a fantastic goal that was. Um, he, is, he is what he is. You know, he's always going to be, you know, nibbling away at referees. He's always going to be throwing his arms in the air. He will never be everyone's cup of tea. But I think, yeah, I think certainly both in terms of his form and also his captaincy, I think he's doing quite well right now. Now, um, Liverpool have been up to the northeast to St James's Park this season and managed to win a game that um, in which they... Uh, were battered for long periods, to be fair, although they did have 10 men. Um, Chelsea have been up there last weekend and came away with the tails between their legs. Um, this would be a statement victory for United if they could pull this one off, having uh, struggled a- against good opposition so far this season. It would be a statement win, wouldn't it, if they could, do- if they could win it at St James's? Absolutely. I think even more so given the flack they copped for after the uh, Carabao Cup defeats. You know? and to be fair, even when they beat Newcastle in the Carabao Cup final last season, in February, I thought that that day Newcastle were the better team, and um, you know, so they've they've not always performed that well against Newcastle. Um, you're absolutely right here. I think if they can go up there on the back of the week they've had and the the challenges they faced this week, if they can go to Tyneside and get a win on Saturday, it would be a huge win, and it would, like you say, it would be a a big statement in the race. What I presume is for the top four, because neither of these teams is going to be winning the title, as far as I can see. How's, how's Eric Ten Hag? How's his, what's his mood like? What's his countenance? And what level of support does he have in that, in that dressing room? If you, can, if you can put your finger on that. In the dressing room, I, yeah, I think he, he has support. I think, you know, there's obviously an issue with Jason Sancho, naturally. The one that I think is concerning people is the Varane thing. That's very strange. You know, he's a... A World Cup winner who's come from Real Madrid. He was an absolute shoe-in for a place in this team um, pretty much since he came into the club. And there's been, obviously, a falling out there. Eric's calling it rumours. Um, he's not really biting on it. There was quite clearly been a falling out between uh, Ten Hag and Varane, um, essentially over them being dropped for the derby um, and the fact that Johnny Evans was, was played alongside Maguire 
instead of him. And that was very hard for someone like him to go and take. So I think it's a bad time for Eric Ten Hag to be losing support to senior players. And I think there's a certain degree of sympathy for Jadon Sancho. Uh, and Varane, of course, has his allies in that dressing room. So it's not all, you know, it's not all roses, most definitely. And I think there's also been a bit of a backlash against the discipline. I think when it's going well, all these things, you know, work fine. When things start to go wrong, that's when people, you know, begin to gripe a little bit. And it is a concern. For me, um, Eric Ten Hag, I think the biggest danger for him now is the Jim Ratcliffe. I think um, that, you know, that while the current regime is in place, they're the people that employed him and his coaching staff and brought the players for him. They've backed him to the hilt. They would obviously love for him to go and succeed. Ratcliffe comes in with, you know, no agenda whatsoever other than, you know, he wants to make things better. And if I'm paying £1.3 billion, pounds, I'm not coming in to go and do nothing. You know, he will want to see improvements. He will want to see um, improvement across the board in terms of on the pitch, in the recruitment. And I think for me, that's the biggest threat now to Eric Ten Hag is a new owner, or not new owner, but a new investor coming in who will have control over football affairs. Is Eric... Is Eric um giving off any sense of vulnerability. To me, he always seems to be this a chap who's almost impossible to read, unlike some of the previous people who've sat in his seat. If he's feeling it, he's not showing it. Um, you know, there was a period earlier this season when he got a little bit twitchy and touchy about some of the refereeing calls and he was, he was starting to show signs of stress then. Um, but in the recent times, no. No, he's, you know, he seems to be committed to his job, to the... The, the, the kind of process that he's put in place, which I guess he has to do. Um, and no, no, I'm not seeing anything particularly different from him. Um, but, you know, it's a massive job. It's a job for him that hasn't always gone smoothly. It'll be very interesting to see what happens next. Listen, mate, uh, thanks for joining us. Um, I think you're going to St. James's Park on Saturday for that one. Um, I hope it's not as wet there as it was in Istanbul. Um, safe travels home, mate, and we'll speak to you soon. So that was one Chris in Istanbul. And now we're going to go straight to another Chris, Chris Sutton in Norfolk. Chris, an incredible week in the Champions League. Again, it's never it's never dull. But you and I are here to talk specifically about the Premier League. And I want to get straight into one of the weekend's games, which is Arsenal versus Wolves. At the start of the season, after Wolves had lost their opening game at Manchester United, um, you wondered on our show, whether there's an unconscious bias from referees against some of the smaller clubs. You said that because uh, Wolves had had what cleared to be, what appeared to be a clear late penalty, denied them in what was a 1-0 Monday night defeat. Um, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? Wolves have, Wolves have been on the wrong end of it consistently from that point on. Yes, they have. I mean, in terms of the the results, uh, oh, sorry, the um, the decisions against Fulham, I should say. I wouldn't say that Fulham is necessarily a bigger club than Wolves. Uh, I thought Gary O'Neill spoke really well actually after, and uh, clearly frustrated. I I just think with this situation, we have to put ourselves in Gary O'Neill's shoes, and and you know, how does he feel? Where it it's game after game this season. It, it's it was Newcastle, it was Luton, it was um, Manchester United, numerous uh, Fulham. You know, all these decisions have gone against them. It, it it's cost his team points, and I think you know he makes he makes a you know a very good point. It's about the club's future, his future. It affects so many people. 
Um, in terms of the decisions the other night, I just thought that, you know, once again, real incompetence um, from the whole system uh, as much as anything. You know, it's not, it's, it, it, it isn't just the, the on, the on field referee. It's, uh, you know, it's the whole system where Gary O'Neill was wrong because the, the whole sort of basis of the argument is, is we were expecting perfection from VAR and, and we haven't got that. Wolves are Wolves are Arsenal uh, this weekend, and the, the the point that Guy O'Neill made after his team's defeat at Fulham on uh, Monday night um, was that he thinks they've lost seven points now to what he described as VAR errors. Um, that's the difference between twelfth place and eighth place. And I'm just looking at my phone here because I've got his quotes written on it. Uh, Gary said, um, "Maybe tonight has finally turned me against VAR." I thought it would help, but it doesn't seem to be. I'm managing a big football club. The difference you are making to my reputation, the club's progression up the league, people's livelihoods is huge. Now, that's a heck of a statement um, about uh, his own position and about the position of the club. Um, And I wonder if he has done that um, in a way to draw some attention attention to this issue, maybe in the hope that this weekend the referee at Arsenal might just have it in the back of his in the back of his mind. I I don't think that's the case. I, I you know I've, I've I've got to disagree with you there. I think he's just purely working off the back of of what's happened this season and and speaking honestly. You know if if we were in his position, I think we'd be thinking the same thing. You know it's. It's sort of the, you know, I think this is the sort of last resort for, for Gary O'Neill. That, that's the way he feels. You know, what else, what else can he say? How can he keep coming out after games and, um, and sort of saying it's okay? You know, I think we all sort of understand that sentiment that, uh, things level out throughout the course of the season. But I mean, there's going to be one heck of a level out for Wolves if they, you know, if that's going to happen. There's a six-pointer, as they say, at Turf Moor this weekend. Burnley at home to Sheffield United. We've talked a lot about Paul Heckingbottom. We think he's got to win this game unless he uh, unless unless he goes. But then we've thought that before. But what about what about Burnley, Chris? Why is why is nobody talking about Vincent Company's future? Why does Vin, Vinnie Company seem to um, be exempt from the normal criticism that comes the way of a team that is sitting right at the bottom of the Premier League? And can't win a game for love and money. Honestly, it it doesn't it doesn't quite seem fair, does it? That you know you're talking about the possibility of this being Paul Heckingbottom's last game, and yet uh, Vincent Company, yeah, I'd, I'd say you know is a little bit exempt uh, from it. Maybe it's about um, that Burnley seem to have a long term plan and a long term strategy, and 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 have greater faith. In Vincent Company, I think you look at the spending in the summer, the type of player uh, that that Burnley brought in. They they spent considerably more, I think ninety odd million, um, considerably more than Sheffield United, who you know spent nearly half that amount. Uh, and yet Burnley are below Sheffield United in the table, and um, and Paul Heckingbottom is under you know is under scrutiny. But then you know it must be faith in the owners. Uh, towards Vincent Company, and he can see the the bigger picture, the the bigger plan. But at Sheffield United, they seem 
to be at this moment in time a club with a great deal of uncertainty. I don't. I don't think they're rudderless under Paul Heckingbottom. I think Sheffield United are where they where we probably expected them to be. But uh, it, they 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 do seem to be a club which are in a bit of disarray. I think there's you know are they still up for sale, Sheffield United? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. There you go. I mean, that, that sort of suggests, you know, everything that, you know, are the owner's heart, you know, in the club. And, um, you know, I, I don't think any of this is helping Paul Heckingbottom. Yeah, I know I know somebody who spoke to the owner this week, spoke to the owner on Monday um, about the situation and about the situation around Paul Heckingbottom. And the, the my, my contact said to me that he couldn't believe how relaxed and almost, not dis, not disinterested, that would be the wrong word, but relaxed and almost kind of shoulder shrugging the owner was about the situation um, with the football team, almost as if he accepts that the season can't be saved and doesn't really know anything, doesn't really know what to do about it. Very strange state of affairs. But if we accept that Sheffield United are the worst team in the in the Premier League, then if you look at Burnley's statistics, it doesn't say much for them. Um, Burnley have lost every home game this season. Um, their goal difference is only one better than Sheffield United. Sheffield United are a team that have lost uh, 8-0 and 5-0 uh, this this season. So that doesn't say much for Burnley. And I'll and I tell you what strikes me about Vincent Company's team is that we talk a lot about their defending, the way they give the ball away, trying to play their way through the lines from, from the back, trying to play their way through the press of the opposition. Um, they don't score goals either. And that, that surprised me because whenever you watch them play, um, as as they did against West Ham in losing narrowly at the weekend. They play nicely. They play good football. They seem to create chances. But they've only scored more than one goal in a game on two occasions this season in the league. One one of those was winning their only game that they have won away at Luton 2-1. And the other one was losing 5-2 at home to Tottenham. So that seems to be a problem as much as the stuff at the other end. Mm. I don't like to say, I, you know, I called this one. Um, but you did. I, I wasn't getting a, uh, as excited as a lot of people uh, about Burnley this season because it's about it's about the step up from the championship. But also, you know, we, we sort of forget how many changes they've, they've actually made and they've brought in young development players who, you know, no doubt many of them will have uh, great, great futures in the game. But the problem is when you start losing games at Premier League level, it's a brutal level. You get found out and the confidence starts to seep within the team. And and, and this uh, high-risk, expansive brand of football, you know, they were all in last season with it, Burnley, but at a level where, you know, they they were too good for. But this season, you know, they're at a level where they... You know, where they're, they're they're drowning and the players then start to doubt themselves a bit of hesitation and it's a it's a never ending circle with it so you know that's the difficulty it makes it an enormous game at the weekend i know you know we like to like to talk about the you know the the glamour games at the top of the premier league but this this one's really interesting because for the loser it feels like it in terms of I think perception from the fans, even the even the hardcore Burnley fans, the diehard uh, Burnley fans who have stuck with Vincent Company, that would be a bitter blow to lose at home to Sheffield United, and I'm sure then there will be you know a few Burnley fans where the doubt really starts creeping in about the manager. Now there were lots of Sunday games because of um, largely down to European commitments, etc. Um, the big one 
uh, on Sunday is, is Tottenham at Manchester City. Um, Tottenham have lost three on the bounce now. Ange Postecoglou's uh, starting start at, at Tottenham has not has not hit the buffers. It's been derailed rather by injuries and suspensions. Um, he's got another injury as Postecoglou. Rodrigo Mentenker is now injured as well. Um, and I'm beginning to wonder, despite all that Postecoglou tells us about his commitment to attacking football, I'm just beginning to wonder if on Sunday against the best team in Europe, against the treble winners, whether he just needs to find a way to just shut the door a little bit and maybe try a slightly different approach. So you are suggesting, after sitting down for an hour with him uh, the other week that and meeting him, um, that Ange Postacoglu is going to change his thinking who's going to change Tottenham's style, it's not going to happen. I'm not suggesting changes to style. I think what I'm getting at is that, is that we know that he's missing players all over the place. And as far as I'm concerned, he's got two very, very good footballers in Eric Dyer and Pierre-Emil Hoiberg sitting on the bench out of the picture. He didn't play either of them against Villa on Sunday when they played very well but lost at home. Hoiberg in particular, is a really, really effective, solid, defensive-minded central midfield player. Dyer can play there as well. Is it not? Is it not time for that type of that type of player for a game? When come on, if Tottenham go toe to toe with City on on Sunday with the depleted squad that they've got, then they're going to get the trousers pulled down, aren't they? It's about the bigger picture it's it's about what he believes in you know did do do with Tottenham going up against Manchester City I, I think that their record actually against Manchester City has been pretty okay I may, I may be wrong and you can shoot me down there but over the, over the last few seasons Tottenham have had a right few results against Manchester City doing it a different way but you, you know Postacoglu's not going to not going to change the reason Eric Dyer um, isn't playing as a centre back is he he can't run. He doesn't have pace. And, you know, I've spoken about this many times. In many respects, the best two players in Postacoglu's team have to be the centre-halves because they, they get exposed. So that's why he's playing Emerson Royal as a right-sided centre-back, Ben Davies as a left-sided centre-back. Um, you know, it's it's as simple as that. I think with with, with regards to uh, Hoiberg or uh, Hoibier, I think I don't, I don't know which is which is correct. I think the second one is more correct. He, uh, you know, is is a, is a decent enough footballer. I th- I think so, but um, you know, I think it's all about uh, as a central midfielder for Ange Postecoglou. It's all about the quickness of passing that first pass on the ball, sharp half turn, and 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 offloading it quickly or driving with the ball. And at this moment in time, Postecoglou sees other guys ahead of him in that respect. So you know, I'm not gonna not gonna you know argue about. Hoiberg not being selected. You are such an acolyte to, to uh, of uh, Postecoglou. You're so loyal to him. I like I, I like it in a way. I wish you were half as loyal as, to me as you are to him. Um, no, wait, wait, I mean, so the whole the whole thing about um, Postecoglou is this: it's about it's about being believable, isn't it? You watched the game at the weekend against Aston Villa. Tottenham Tottenham could have been out of sight in the first half. Should have been. And I think I spoke to um, to Ali Bruce Ball, who was commentating on the game. 
He said, walking out of the game, he said, listening Tottenham fan, uh, to Tottenham fans talking to each other. Um, he said, you know, they're, they're sort of buzzing because of the nature of the performance. They've lost the game. They're deflated. But, you know, the supporters are, you know, really having it at this moment in time. Now, listen, if they go on to, 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 on a run where it's, it's five, six, seven, eight losses on the bounce, then you can see sort of things snowballing a little bit. But, uh, you know, at this moment in time, uh, you know, they're, you know, they're loving Postacoglu. If you lose eight on the bounce, they have to sack him. <laughs> Hold that thought. We'll be back right after this. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Talking of loyalty, etc., which I did briefly then. Um, a friend of mine sent me a message on uh, Saturday, it was actually. I meant to mention this to you on Monday, but I forgot. Got a message from a friend of mine on, on Saturday, which says, I'm just reading it out here. I'm watching your mate Sutton's boy play in goal for Wroxham. They are 2 0 down to Brentwood Town, but he's made a couple of decent saves. <laughs> That's nice. Was it 2 0 in the end? 2 0 in the end, yeah. Oh, that, that's yeah, that's exactly. very nice. We're, we're not used as a family. We're not used to compliments. So, oh, that's very nice. Which of which of your sons is it who plays in goal for, for Wroxham? Ollie, Oliver, captain, Wroxham captain. Captain, captain in goal. Interesting. Yeah, we, well, we're we're a family of captains, uh, Ian, really. So, yeah, he's... He's he's all right at the moment. You're you're in the danger of damning him with faint praise. Yeah, no, he's all right. All all my lads are upset because I'm six feet. I'm six foot three and a half, uh, and they say that I should have married a taller woman because my wife isn't the tallest. She's five two, and they're all six foot. But to be a goalkeeper, of course, you want to be enormous. So you know. I should I should have married. So they're a, blaming you. I, I, blaming I should <laughs> I should I should have married a, a a netball player, a tall netball player. Really, shouldn't I? That's that's what the lads think. What does your wife make of these these frank conversations <laughs> over the breakfast table? Not very not very nice, is it? No, no, she 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 takes it all within a stride. <laughs> Thanks for everything, Mum. But I wish Dad had married somebody else, so I had a better chance of being a footballing superstar It'd like me. A dad. bit taller. <laughs> Goodness me. My daughter's almost taller than me already, and she's only five. Um, Right, I think we'll leave it. uh, 
we'll, we'll leave it there, mate. We're, I was going to get onto the, the merits of uh, Jeremy Joker and ask whether he's a signing of the summer, but I think we're kind of out of time. So, uh, look, nice to see you, mate. Um, delighted to know that your sketchy internet uh, is going to be upgraded any day now. So, uh, from now on, it'll be, li- it'll be loud and clear. Um, so look it'll be loud and clear on Monday we'll be back in the studio together for the next edition of it's all kicking off mate and I'll, uh, I'll see you then